0: Welcome to the Kennedy Report. I'm Kennedy Hall. Sister Lucia was right. Global communism is here. This is about communist brainwashing. and This is part one of our two-part series on the topic. In 1947, Professor William Thomas Walsh authored a book about Fatima. It's called Our Lady of Fatima. And in there, he writes about the story of Fatima, but he also speaks about an uh, interview that he had with Sister Lucy in the epilogue. And Sister Lucy said the following to Professor Walsh. She says, what Our Lady wants is that the Pope and all the bishops in the world shall consecrate Russia to her immaculate heart on one special day. If this is done, she will convert Russia and there will be peace. If this is not done, the errors of Russia will spread through every country in the world. The professor asked, he said, does this mean, in your opinion, that every country without exception will be overcome by communism? And Sister Lucia answered, yes. Now, in 1929, Our Lady told Sister Lucia that the consecration must take place as it has not, In Spain, in August 1931, our Lord communicated to Sister Lucy his dissatisfaction that the Pope and the Catholic bishops have failed to obey the command. He said this to Sister Lucy, he said, make it known to my ministers, given that they follow the example of the King of France in delaying the execution of my requests. They will follow him in his misfortune. It is never too late to have recourse to Jesus and Mary. Now this is a reference to what happened in France, where King Louis a series of King Louis, actually, they failed to answer the request to consecrate France to the Sacred Heart of Christ. Eventually, it was too late. On June 17th, 1689, the Sacred Heart of Jesus manifested to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, his command to the King of France, that the King was to consecrate France to the Sacred Heart. For 100 years to the day, the kings of France delayed and did not obey. So, on June 17th, exactly 100 years later, on 1789, the King of France was stripped of his legislative authority by the Third Estate, the French Revolutionaries. And four years later, the soldiers of the French Revolution executed the King of France as if he were a common criminal. In 1793, France sent its king, King Louis XVI, to the guillotine. He and his predecessors had failed to obey our lord, and his request that France be consecrated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and thus the misfortune had befallen both the king and the country, and this was perhaps the beginning of the entire sort of revolution of the modern era. The specific request regarding Fatima was made in 1929. Our Lord warns us that there was a hundred years for the king of France, and a similar fate will befall us. We are now in 2021. One hundred years from 1929 brings us to 2029. These next eight years will be a doozy, I think. So, we do have global communism. But how did it happen? We're going to go through here, and I recommend for anybody who wants to know more specifically about what some of the Russian agents, the KGB operatives, etc., have done, look up a man named Yuri Bezmenov. He was a defector. He sort of escaped the Soviet Union. He was a KGB operative who specialized in taking down various foreign countries and subverting them. And he has some great videos online. He actually ended up dying in Canada, I believe, about well, at least 10 years ago or so. He talks about subversion as the main overarching tactic that they use to subvert or sort of perform a series of psychological warfare in another country. Now, in order for subversion to work, you must find a receptive correspondent, someone who is open to new ideas. You know, this is good in a way, the idea of being open to good ideas. But the problem is, is that the merit of those ideas must be analyzed, You cannot subvert somebody who is fixed in what they believe. This is why one of the capital sins of our modern day is to be closed-minded. I mean, there's almost nothing worse in this world. Oh, you're so closed-minded. Well, my favorite author, Chesterton, says, don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out. I think collectively as a society we've been open-minded to a fault. But in any case, Yuri Bezmenov actually speaks about how the Russian KGB operatives would use the philosophies from the classic art of war which was written by Sun Tzu. And it's an ancient philosophical tactic. And what it means basically is that the ultimate end was to change the perception of reality of your enemy to the point where they do not view you as the enemy at all and either think that what you are offering is feasible for them or even desirable. If you can subvert your enemy successfully, you can eventually take them over without any violence whatsoever. Remember that if you subvert your enemy intellectually and psychologically well enough you can take them over without having to fire a single shot the whole globalized world has basically had the same response to the same crisis that we're being fed not a single shot was fired but all nations on earth accepted the tactics of a communist nation china for a pathogen released from their shores ironically they themselves gave up on all of those lockdown tactics months ago. You should look at the videos from that province in China and see what the New Year's Eve celebrations look like compared to those here in Canada where people were being arrested from their home for having more than five people. All of our free nations are mostly doubling down while the so-called communist nations that we're apparently nothing like are opening up and enjoying actual freedom of movement. Any jurisdiction that has a strong regional culture, like much of sort of the American South or parts of the Midwest, they seem to be doing better at resisting the fullness of the subversion. But a country like mine in Canada and other European countries, not a chance. So how did this happen? Well, before I continue, I should note that the process that I'm about to explain has already happened in cycles throughout the globe. This isn't new information. Necessarily, this has been happening since probably about 1920 at least, maybe before that, but we're going through a cycle of it right now, beginning around 1920 and culminating with the second world war. We might look at that as one of the first cycles that then set up the world for a distinct division for about 50 years. This is overtly between what we called communism and what we saw as basic freedom. This was the cold war. So you had what looked like to most people, you had two sides of the world. You have those who were free, we think about those great speeches by Ronald Reagan and they really were <laughs> great speeches. And you think about Stalin and Gorbachev and, and all these men. These cycles go in 15 to 20 years span. And we're living in the culmination of one of those cycles right now. So why do they go 15 to 20 years? Well, they're broken down into four different stages. And this again is according to Yuri Bezmenov and I suggest you look him up and he explains this in detail as well. But I think it's nice to look at it through the lens of our time. He was speaking about 20, 25 years ago. It's four things. The first part is called demoralization. This part takes about 15 to 20 years. What you need to do is you have to educate an entire generation of people. So 15 to 20 years, you get kids when they're around 3, 4 years old. You see them through their early adulthood. And those who are in it for about 20 years, they go through university. You have to adjust their personalities, you have to adjust their education, you have to infiltrate with propaganda, you have to go after their education systems, their religious systems, their social life, their legal systems, their labor and employee relations, and probably as important as anything today, you have to have a system of propaganda. We call that media today. The trick of demoralization is to take a movement against the general values of a nation or people and to unite different groups in a similar direction. You use their momentum as a way to propel them further. So you think about the advent of communism in a place like Russia. Just think about this for a second. My math might be off a little bit, but if I'm not mistaken, I think within the first year of official Soviet communism in Russia, I believe there were more executions in one month than there had been in a century prior in the so-called repressive regime of the old emperor, the old czar, excuse me. But it does not matter what the groups are. They could be a group of religious people and atheists alike, as long as they unite in some hatred of a foundational precept of a nation. This uniting resentment can be used to thrust them even further in the movement against the foundations of their country and of their people. Think of all the social movements of the last year. Everybody thinks that they sort of sprung up out of nowhere. Well, how was it that basically beginning in March with the lockdowns and going through, you could have riots and rallies and changes and governments and basically whole social revolutions, whole movements, millions of dollars spent, tens of thousands of people gathering in massive public places when apparently there was a pandemic going around. And everybody was like kindling. It just was lit with fuel to the fire. was just ready to go. It's not an accident. These things are not random. But the population has been sufficiently demoralized. If you ask your average North American kid what they think about their country, I bet you they will be highly critical. Not some of them. There's still some patriots. But most kids, they will say, well, you know, we used to be a bunch of intolerant this. Well, we used to do things wrong this way. Well, you know, grandfather, he's got to get with the times, etc. The Marxist mentality, which we're going to talk about, will even fuel a movement that is against uh, certain principles of communism, if necessary, as long as it can be used to set the population off balance and take away their stability. So that's the basic idea of demoralization. To just completely disenfranchise people against their own society, and then over a period of a couple decades, as this is happening, they can prime them for the next stages. So let's just go through quickly here, what are the different facets of demoralization? Religion is very important. If you look at the history of any communist regime, any Marxist regime, you will see that there is a disdain for God. Ultimately, God has to be out of the question. Religion must be destroyed. It even needs to be ridiculed. You read about students, for example, in the early days of the Soviet Union, their teachers would actually take them outside to spit at the sky to symbolize the fact that they were spitting at God. It wasn't that they didn't believe in God. They weren't just atheists. They were anti-theists. This is why atheism is put forth in universities and even a lot of schools, uh, younger schools nowadays. It's put forth as the intelligent position and belief in God is primitive. This is why evolution is so important to the Marxists. We used to be primitive. As we get smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter, we go away from all those superstitions. Sound familiar? But... The communist mentality doesn't want people to not be religious, it just wants them to redirect their zeal towards the new cult that they're bringing them into, which is ultimately the cult of the state. They might call this different things, they might say, this is about progressive human rights, this is about uh, freedom and equality, the rallying cry of the French Revolution for example, but nonetheless, there has to be a new cult. Think. Do you think if our society has been demoralized? How much money has the church taken from the state? And as a result, do our bishops even defend the rights of the church anymore? Not really. It's too expensive to speak up. Even the church, at least in North America, has been completely demoralized. How much do you want to bet? This is just a little tangent of mine. But how much do you want to bet that as we've demoralized a society and forced them to go home for church during a lockdown and encouraged them to watch church on TV, How much do you want to bet that they're monitoring the live streams to see what those pesky priests are saying? They used to have to send people into the churches to infiltrate them. Not anymore. They just asked them to broadcast for everybody. Classic communist techniques have always been infiltration, but there's no need to do that if you have them record themselves. Another strong factor in all of this, which relates to the religious degradation that the communists always want in your society, is sexual immorality. You see, sexual immorality was a huge part of the Soviet Revolution. In fact, it got so bad at a certain point with promiscuity, they called them public women, which was basically like government-funded prostitutes, abortion was so rampant that they actually had to pull things back and then release new propaganda promoting traditional marriage, etc., because the people had become so bestial, so beastly, that they couldn't get basic things done. The French revolutionaries knew this as well. In the French Revolutionary times, they would have striptees and these women that would get all the men sort of, you know, lustful, etc., because they know that men who are controlled by lust become slaves to their sins, and they also become primed for violence. Ask your average police officer the percentage of their calls, home calls, that stem from relationship problems or family problems. Virtually the vast majority of offenses that cops will answer to when they go to somebody's house, they will be things that have to do with breaking the Sixth and Ninth Commandment. It's staggering. Most crimes contain a sexual element and temptation. And this is what the state knows when they use their Marxist propaganda. Pornography is rampant in Marxist societies. It didn't just start with the Internet. It was always going on in communist places. All addictive substances have to be pushed as part of demoralization. Who do you get your legal drugs from now? You get them from the state. The state is willingly consulted so that people will recreationally alter their own mind and become slaves to pleasure. This is classic demoralization. And of course, infidelity, prostitution, divorce, contraception, sterilization, abortion, etc. All of these things have come into fruition through communist Marxist influence. A society that becomes very sinful is a society that's easily fooled. Is it any wonder what people believe that dead people can rise and vote? It's a silly society. It's a sinful society. And they'll believe anything. Absolute control over the lies of others and everyone knows it and everyone accepts it. This is what drives us in our society now. We have been sufficiently demoralized. Another thing that has to happen is education must be manipulated. This does not mean that we want quote-unquote, bad education, communists still want people to have high technical skills because they want them to be basically slaves and operators of the mechanisms for the economy. But it just means they want them to focus on things that bring them away from certain intellectual skills. This is why things like sociology, psychology, or obscure types of literature are constantly pushed in our day. You will have a whole group of young people who've spent decades in school, but have never learned the basics of logical thinking, which means they will be more susceptible to accepting irrational mandates from government and media. Think about the contradictions you have to hold with a lot of our education nowadays. You can hold two completely contradictory ideas in your head at the same time. So people can tell you that you must stay home because you're all going to die, but if you don't gather in a crowd of 50,000... For a certain cause, that's bad for you too. doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter. People don't have logical thinking skills. How is it that a society can easily accept lockdown measures and say that they're beating the flu, but at the same time, there's another virus that's still raging? Wear your mask. It's stopping one virus, but it's not stopping another one. Okay. Any logical thinking person would see through that. But alas, we have generations... We've been educated to hold these two contradictory ideas. Another major part of demoralization is the social life. Natural or traditional organizations that are grassroots or local must be uprooted and replaced by competing government-run or government-licensed organizations. Think for just a second about how the various clubs, like the Lions Club, Kiwanis, or whatever, they've been changed or basically gone away. Think about the radical change to things like the Boy Scouts or other similar groups. These organizations are manipulated because they are enticed by public money from bureaucratic regimes who then expect certain things. If you want the money, if you want to use the community center, then you need to accept the state code of conduct. Well, that state code of conduct might go against everything you believe, but if you want to keep your license to run your sport or to run your club, you'll just shut up and take the money. Natural communal social life is discouraged by the Marxist. And in order to fill the void, you will see things like local initiatives or ways to do things like gentrify the downtown, etc. But you'll notice something about these. They're always attached to state monies. So, for example, let's say you have a theater that you'd like to renovate in your city. Well, that's great. And they'll give you a grant of, you know, $10 million or whatever it is and match your donations. But they have certain strings attached. You have to have a certain quota of this, that, and the other thing to make sure that your theater is progressive, like the rest. Before you know it, you're no longer even picking your own plays. You're doing what you get grants for, and there's a very selective group that you can. With the breakdown of communal life, they then advocate for a system of social workers, um, community organizers, etc., and these take the places of your grassroots coaches, they take the places of your teachers of small independent schools, they take the places of your priests in your churches, and these take over your life. These social workers, whatever good they may do on their own, they're employees of the bureaucracy, and ultimately they will act accordingly. This makes its way into the political reality, as you can imagine. And because people are custom to unelected, but instead hired government employees because they've been dealing with them their whole life. I mean, think about your life. We're going over how we've grown up in a Marxist society. Think about all the different levels. If you run a business, if you want to start a team, if you want to start a club, if you want to do something for your church, if you want to do a fundraiser, think about all the different government bureaucrats that you have to deal with just to get something simple done. Do a little experiment in your town. Try and go and organize using a hockey rink or fields and see, and just tick a box, tick a box and say how many government employees you had to work with in order just to rent the ice time. You might have half a dozen just before you even get on the ice uh, just to get the grass cut of the soccer field. You're accustomed to dealing with the state for everything that you need. And to be honest, because there's ultimate job security in most of these jobs, you're also accustomed to dealing with people who aren't even very competent much of the time, and there's no threat of them ever losing their job. So by the time this makes its way to government, your social life has been completely destroyed, so you'll accept these same people in the government. This is why right now we have unelected officials. They're doctors, but they're just government bureaucrats, and they're telling us how many people we can have over for Thanksgiving and Christmas. We've all been demoralized to accept this. Another important aspect is the legal system and law enforcement. There's perhaps no better example of how this state bureaucracy, Marxist fueled style bureaucracy, and how it works than the legal system and law enforcement. Ask yourself Does the legal system defend what is just or what is lawful? They're not the same thing. They could be, but they're not the same thing always. Or do they just do things that are legal? You might say to yourself, Well, this is legal, it must be lawful. Or this is lawful, it must be just. It doesn't always work that way. Abortion is legal, but it's not lawful. Can the average person afford to defend themselves in court against things like unjust fines for gathering during a lockdown? People aren't scared of getting sick, they're scared of a $1,000 fine. The same fine that the politicians don't get for going away for Christmas. Over the years, the state-run media and educational institutions have done everything they can to discredit the honor of law enforcement in the eyes of the general public. This is done by labeling all injustice as oppression. It can't just be that a cop made a mistake, he must be some sort of villain. Granted, there are instances, historically, of you know, bad conduct, but this is the exception and not the rule. For years, people have been trained to view the police and other law enforcement officers as people who are arms of the state, who essentially regulate our behavior and enforce unjust penalties. you know, Well, I'll drive the speed limit at this amount because I don't want a ticket. They don't have anything to do with their safety. Well, I won't smoke. I mean, here in our province, I don't think you can smoke within three meters of a public building or something. These things are just nonsense. I mean, if you're two meters away, whatever the number is, you get a ticket. It has nothing to do with health. It has to do with bureaucracy. So then by the time they tell you to stand six feet apart from somebody who's not sick, unless, of course, you go to a rally or a riot, by the time they tell you you can have a 100 people in Walmart but not more than 10 at your church, you either don't care because you're so demoralized or you're so brainwashed that you can hold to scientifically nonsensical, contradictory opinions in your mind at the same time. Be careful if you're at a restaurant because when you stand up, It's not safe, but when you sit down, you're totally fine. That's how logic works. Anyway, people have been trained for this. People will comply with these mandates anyway, not because they fear the consequences of the actual act itself, but because they fear the legal fees. And people fear the legal fees even more than the police. This is why now you see police officers getting frustrated and the instances of friction between the police and the people is getting even more strenuous because the laws are unjust, the lockdowns are wrong, they're asking police officers to enforce them, don't even know how, and that people have no faith in the system because of demoralization. You see, it just creates complete chaos with all the levels in society. If you do end up getting your day in court to fight an unjust fine or something like that, good luck. Because they might just declare that your country or your province is in a state of emergency and that suspends your constitutional rights. It's difficult to play a game when they keep moving the goalpost. Unelected bureaucrats have declared the goalpost move. It's not the law. We bring it back full circle. We're so used to unelected bureaucrats running every aspect of our life that when we finally get to a position where we're dealing with the police or even the courts, while the law changes anyway. So what's the point? Do you actually think that Marxism and communism went away? Now, regarding law enforcement, a little bit more here. They do want a police state, but they don't want a lawful police state. They want you to hate your local cops. They want you to hate the guys that really are good guys you know, the guys that coach your local team or volunteer for the you know, church food drive at Christmas, they want you to dislike those people because they've turned them into your enemy as their instrument of taking away all of your freedom of mobility, gathering, etc. So when the time comes that there is such an extreme stress on the society from demoralization and the crisis that will follow, it's easy for them to then manipulate you to view those men in your community who really are most likely your neighbors and allies, but you look at them as your enemy. Then what do they do? Well, they'll talk about things like defunding that same police force and bringing in something else from the county or bringing in something else from the state or from the province, from the country, from the region. They'll even take away words like law. They won't say things are illegal anymore. They'll say things like, well, that's against the mandates. We're putting in new measures. They don't want you to think in terms of legal and illegal because that brings up morality. They don't want that. Eventually, this creates an atmosphere of lawlessness in personal lives and property, but a strong oversight from state or national organizations that will make examples of people who go against the orthodoxy. You see, the ultimate goal is, communists, they actually want you to have rampant immorality and tension in the goings-on between you and your neighbor, because they don't want you to have unification, because they don't want you to be able to stand up for yourself. What they want is they want police forces that overarch that are state police, national police, and they stop you from doing things that go against the public face of the communists. As long as you have chaos in your life, but they can maintain external order from a very sort of usually ruthless police force, then they're happy. This is just a part of how they demoralize us. There is more to the demoralization process. We still have labor relations to talk about and how the media propaganda works. But that's enough for our first part in the series. So please join us again next time as we'll go over the second part of how Sister Lucia was right and how global communism is here. And we'll go over even more how it takes us from demoralization through the rest of the steps all the way to the new normal that they promised us. I'm Kennedy Hall. This has been the Kennedy Report. God bless.